If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, the book of Galatians. We're back in Galatians today, uh, and we're going to be in uh, chapter 3, beginning in uh, verse 15. Yes, Brent, you can pray for me. I noticed that. Thank you. We do this on Sundays, and last week I didn't yeah. have anybody to pray for me. So I, I kind of missed like the the, me too. the big Celeste <laughs> hug that, that we're used to. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Father, I just pray right now that you would bless Chad, uh, that what he's prepared, Lord, would be powerful and meaningful in our lives right now, that he would exalt you, and that you would be everything he needs right now, Father, to proclaim your word and proclaim the gospel clear. So be with my brother and help him through this time, and, and we're excited, Lord, for what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, so we've been uh, going through Galatians, and uh, what's at stake here in the book of Galatians is the doctrine of justification uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is what Paul is combating. Paul established these churches uh, in the area of Galatia, and after he had gone away, people had come in and began to alter uh, the message of the gospel. And so Paul is writing this letter to remind them of the truth of the gospel. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, uh, we can take this really deep dive and, and get into the weeds. And other times when we read the Bible, we take a more broad look uh, with a more broad perspective. And so imagine, and maybe you've heard this analogy before, but imagine uh, that you're flying in a plane and you're flying at a really low altitude and you can see people on the ground uh, kind of a thing. Or that you're in a plane and you're flying at a super high altitude, you're at 30,000 feet uh, above the earth and, and you can't see detail, but you can see kind of this wide swath uh, of the world as you're flying. And so today, the passage that we're going to look at is like we're flying at a 30,000 foot level. Uh, Paul's actually going to cover uh, a couple of thousand years uh, of history uh, in uh, biblical history in our passage today. And so again, we're talking about the doctrine of justification here. Uh, without the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, the wheels come off of the bus of Christianity. This is at the heart of the gospel. This was at the heart of uh, the Reformation that happened 500 years ago. Uh, and this is the heart of Paul's letter uh, to the Galatians. So with that in mind, uh, let's jump in uh, Galatians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 15. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And we'll pause there for just a moment. And so Paul uh, takes our attention uh, back in history uh, to Abraham. And if you have uh, been around the church at all, if you've read your Bible much, you probably are familiar uh, with the name Abraham. He's kind of one of the big characters uh, of the Bible and, and is very prominent uh, throughout the book of Genesis. And if you remember, God gave a promise to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. And he told Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. And he told Abraham that he would have so many descendants that if you could count Abraham's descendants, it would be like counting the stars in the sky or counting the grains of sand uh, that are on the seashore, which are two things that, that are impossible. And, and so God gave this promise to Abraham and then God called Abraham out of his land. And, and you might remember just as an added twist to the story that Abraham and his wife were unable to have children. 
And so God makes this promise to him, I'm going to make you a nation and you're going to have so many descendants that you can't even count them. Yet he calls them out of his land and, and they're not able uh, to have children. And so this is just like God, I'm going to make you a promise. And, and like with my hands tied behind my back, we're going to make this promise happen. And so, so then we get to, to Genesis chapter 15. And, and there's this incredible moment in Genesis 15 where, where God, again, reiterates this promise to Abraham and he makes a covenant with Abraham. Now, the way that covenants work in the Bible is that, that you typically have two parties, party A and party B, and it's, it's kind of lined out. Here's the responsibilities of the first party and here's the responsibilities of the second party. Uh, and here's what happens if either of the parties break their promise or they don't fulfill what they said that they were going to fulfill. And that's just generally how covenants work. It's kind of, kind of covenants work that way today too, right? You, you, uh, you take out a mortgage to buy your house and there's all this, this paperwork that you fill out that essentially says, if you make all your payments on time in 30 years, you're going to own your house free and clear. But if you don't make your payments on time or you stop making your payments, then, then it lines out the process of the bank taking your house from you, right? And, and so this idea of a covenant or a contract is not foreign to us. So in Genesis 15, God reiterates this promise to Abraham, this covenant to Abraham. Uh, and, and what they would do back in, in these days is that they would take animals and they would cut animals in half. And they, they would line out the parts of the animals on one side and on the other side. And there would be this trail that you would walk through in a process to ratify the covenant. And the whole purpose of, of doing it this way was to say that if I break my part of the covenant, then may I be like these animals who are cut in half that we're walking in between. So, so this was kind of a serious thing that basically uh, staking your life on your ability to fulfill this covenant. So God reiterates this, this covenant with Abraham. Uh, Abraham sacrifices the animals, lines them out, uh, as was the custom of the day. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we see in Genesis 15 that Abraham's over here asleep. Right? God caused a sleep to fall over Abraham. And God alone ratifies this covenant that he made between him and Abraham. God ratifies the covenant. We'll come back to this idea in a moment, but it's important that we remember that. And so Paul is talking about the fact that this covenant came long before the law was given to Moses. God made this promise to Abraham 400 some years before uh, the law would come to Moses, right? And, and so it's important that we remember that. So in this, and, and he's pointing us to Christ, he's saying that, that ultimately the, the offspring of Abraham, the other part of the promise was that all of the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And, and that's a reference pointing us forward to ultimately the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And, and so Paul is covering this wide swath of history, uh, again, from a 30,000-foot view, just looking at this, this broad picture. And so he reiterates to the Galatians and to us that this promise came long before the law, long before God told Moses to write down on a tablet, don't kill anybody, don't steal those kinds of things, long before those things came, was this promise uh, of Christ, this promise that all of the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. We move on to uh, chapter 3, verse 19, and we get into uh, away from the promise and into the law. Galatians 3, 19, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. 
Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But by the scriptures, but the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So again, we'll pause there for a moment. What Paul is saying is he's, he's contrasting the law and the promise. And so if God had initiated this covenant with Abraham, this promise that ultimately points us towards the person and work of Christ, then, then what's the purpose of the law? And Paul says that the law was added because of transitions or because of uh, transgressions. Sorry about that. Um, until Christ could come, whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And so, because we're sinners, we need the law. Because we have this bent in us towards sin, we need a law that tells us this is sin, right? It's not right to murder. It's not right to steal. It's not right to covet those kinds of things. Um, Like I was thinking this week, um, we were talking earlier about uh, the warming center that we operate, and we we have uh, some rules at our warming center. I'm I'm not a big fan of having this long list of rules that when people come in the door, they have to abide by, but we have a few rules, and those few rules are in place because people did things that we would not think we would have to say, don't do that. Uh, For example, we we have uh, a rule that says no drugs at the warming center, and it's because one day three guys came out of the bathroom followed by a cloud of smoke. We didn't think that that needed to be said, but now we have a rule that says, you know, don't, don't smoke a bowl in the bathroom. <laughs> you can't do that because people need to be told. And, and we're all, because of our sin nature, uh, we have this bent that draws us towards sin. And so because of transgressions, we have to have rules and laws that say, don't do these things. Act this way. And so Paul then asked the question, if that's the case, is the law contrary to the promises of God? And of course, he answers that by saying, certainly not. And he reminds us that if a law could be made that could give life, then righteousness would be indeed by the law. Martin Luther says about the law that the principal point of it is not to make men better, but to make them worse. That is to say, it sheweth unto them, this is an old quote, It sheweth unto them their sin, that by the knowledge thereof they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, and broken, and by this means may be driven to seek grace. Uh, In other writings, he talks about the law being a mirror, showing us our sinfulness, showing us that that we don't measure up. And and there's a thread throughout the entirety of Scripture that reminds us that, that we cannot attain righteousness on our own. We can't be good enough for God to accept us. We can't uh, uh, go long enough without sin for God to look at us and say that you're perfectly righteous, hence our need for the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Luther also says that when the devil cannot ruin people by making them worse, he will ruin them by making them better, or in other words, trying to make them better, um, because we also have this bent not only that draws us towards sin, but we also have this bent that when we see this list of rules, do these things, don't do these things, we want to try really hard to accomplish both of those lists. We want to try really hard to not do the things we're not supposed to do, and we want to try really hard to do the things that we ought to do. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we fail on both counts. I fail every day at doing the things that I want to do. And I fail every day at at not doing the things that that I don't want to do. 
Uh, Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 7. Um, so, so there is a contrast between the law and the promise, but one doesn't invalidate the other. Paul reminds us that before faith came, before Christ came, that we were held captive under the law, that we were imprisoned by it. I don't know if, if you ever just get so tired and so frustrated with yourself that you can't perform. Right? And if we, we can all get there in life. You, you have a, a moment of anger, for example, with your spouse and you blow it or, or you yell at your kids or whatever. And then you just get so frustrated at yourself. Why do I keep doing this? Or, or even just in, in uh, the theater of your own mind, um, you know, we don't do a good job always of controlling our thoughts. Have you ever just been frustrated with the thoughts that you allow to run through your head? But at the same time in that frustration, you can't do anything to shut it off, right? We're, we're imprisoned, uh, held captive uh, under the law until the coming faith would be revealed. And so Paul tells us that, that the law was our guardian until Christ came. Uh, in order that we might be justified not by our good deeds, uh, because our good deeds aren't good enough, but that we would be justified by faith in Christ, who, whose good deeds, quote-unquote, are good enough, whose righteousness uh, uh, surpasses our own. So, so not only is Jesus the completion of the promise that Abraham talked about, uh, that Paul pointed us to Abraham, but Jesus is also the fulfillment of the law. So he's, he's the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. He's the fulfillment of the law given to Moses. And thankfully, God did not require that humanity first prove themselves in order to earn his favor. No, he gave us his favor and out of that favor, there's an expectation that obedience to God would flow, not for God's favor, but from the favor that we enjoy with God because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. We go on to verse 25 of Galatians chapter 3. But now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Chapter 4, verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So we have the promise that God gave to Abraham fulfilled in Christ. The promise or the law that God gave to Moses ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And the end result of the promise and the law is that now that faith has come, now that Christ has come, that we who believe in Christ can now enjoy the kingdom of God as heirs to the kingdom. And Paul makes this contrast between heirs and slaves or, or children, children and slaves. He kind of lumps into the same category. And so as many of us as were baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ, he tells us. And he reminds us that there is no uh, dividing line uh, in a societal way. Society would divide us as Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. But the, the things that divide us in society uh, do not divide us in Christ. There are basically two statuses that you can have uh, in terms of your relationship to Christ. And you're, you're either a son of God or you're a slave to sin. 
This is what Paul is telling us here. You're one or the other, and it's possible to go from being a slave to sin to being a child of God because of the work and the person of Christ. He reminds us that as we're slaves to sin, that, that we're kind of like kids. We're kind of like kids who, who need our diapers changed and kids who need to be fed and kids who need to be dressed, kids who are under the guardianship uh, of their parents who do everything for them. But there comes a time in every kid's life where they move out of the guardianship of their parents and, and they move into being their own person. And, and Paul talks about that like being a slave to sin uh, is like being a child who needs to be fed and changed because they can't do for themselves. They need somebody to do for them the things that they cannot do for themselves. A, a one-year-old is cannot change their own clothes. A one-year-old can't prepare their own meal. And, and so there, there's a connection here, a, a picture of the truth of the gospel that Jesus has done for us the things that we could and would never do for ourselves. And that, that's a grace of God in the person and the work of Christ. And so in the same way, when we were children, when we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, we were held captive by the law. Christ fulfilled the law according to the promise of God so that we could be sons of God. He talks about that, that we would cry out uh, in verse 4 uh, through 7. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Have you ever been in a group of people, maybe a bunch of people hanging out at somebody's house or, or even here uh, at church, and all of a sudden you hear a kid cry, maybe off in the distance. Every time without fail, there's, there's always a mom that says, that's my kid. The, the parent knows the cry of their kid. And, and, and Paul talks about here that, that as children of God, that we cry out, Abba, Father. It's a very distinct cry. It's the cry of the Christian. The non-Christian doesn't cry out, Abba, Father. But the Christian cries out, Abba, Father. And it's a very distinct call very distinct cry that is heard by the Father. But here's what's cool. So, so in this wide swath of history, 2,000 years roughly of, of history that Paul is covering here, the promise given to Abraham, the law given to Moses, being fulfilled in the person and the work of Christ, he says that when the fullness of time had come, in other words, in accordance to God's unfolding plan throughout redemptive history, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ. And God didn't send Jesus to the earth to show up uh, on a white horse with, with sword in hand, ready to, to take names. That, that time is coming. But, but he was born of a woman. The virgin birth, another key doctrine to uh, Christianity. He was born of a woman. Of all of the ways that, that, that God could have intervened in human history, and all of the ways that redemptive history could have unfolded, Jesus shows up and he's born of a woman. The Messiah, the long-awaited, the promised Messiah, shows up on earth, not ready to take names, but he comes as a baby. He comes in the most feeble and weak way imaginable. He, he shows up and, and for a time had to be fed, had to be changed, had to be cared for. 
that this is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, came in meekness and came in humility. And not only that, but he was born under the law. The creator of the universe stepped into human flesh and subjected himself to the law. And he did so, Paul tells us, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's go back to this idea of the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. So so God makes this, this covenant with Abraham while Abraham's sleeping. God ratifies the covenant walks through the, the trail of animals cut in half, the sacrificed animals, as if he was saying that if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, then, then kill me. Right? That, that's the idea of this covenant. And what's cool about this is that that actually happened. Second Corinthians 5 tells us that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. In other words, he who didn't break the covenant took the punishment for breaking the covenant so that those who actually broke the covenant could be considered as if they didn't break the covenant. I was actually worried about saying all of that the right way, and, and I got it right. But, but what, what, what an amazing truth that is. God taking full responsibility for the covenant that he gave to Abraham, and God taking on in the, in the person of Jesus Christ the punishment because you and I didn't fulfill our part of the covenant. That this is the truth of the gospel that Paul is reminding us of as he's defending the idea of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God did for us in Christ that which we could and would never do for ourselves. Even if we could do it, which we can't. But even if we could, we wouldn't do for ourselves this thing. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, enabling us to cry, Abba, Father. We, we couldn't cry, Abba, Father. And, and that word Abba, like it means daddy, right? You ever, you ever have like a special nickname for your dad? Maybe he's not just dad. Maybe he's daddy. Maybe he's pop. You know what? like crying out with this distinct cry, Daddy. We, we were incapable of doing that uh, until Christ did what he did on the cross. And the result is that we're no longer slaves, we're no longer held captive by the law, but, but we're a son of God. We're a daughter of God, a child of God. And if we're a child of God, Paul reminds us that then, then we're an heir Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that, that because of God's kindness and his great love towards us, that his desire is that he would spend eternity pouring out his immeasurable riches on those that love him. Right? We, we can measure a lot of things in this world. National budget's pretty big, trillions of dollars. We, we can measure a lot of things. The Bible tells us we can't measure God's riches. And it's his desire to spend eternity pouring out his riches in kindness towards us in love. What an incredible truth this is. One commentator on this passage says this, By what figure could have God demonstrated his commitment more graphically to Abraham? How could it have been displayed more vividly? The only way would have been for the figure to become a reality for the ever-living God to take on human nature and taste death in the place of the covenant-breaking children of Abraham. And this is precisely what God did in Jesus Christ. 
On the cross, the covenant curse fell completely upon Jesus so that the guilty ones who placed their trust in him might experience the blessing of the covenant. Jesus bore the punishment for our sins so that God might be our God and we might be his people. And this is what Paul is reminding us today in this this 30,000-foot flyover of redemptive history covering a couple of thousand years, that the whole point of it, everything, the whole point of it from the beginning until now and through the end of this age is that we would come to know Christ as our Savior, that we would come to be redeemed by God who did for us what we could and would never do for ourselves. One pastor says that the gospel is not an invitation, but it's a summons. And to refuse it is not to decline it, but to defy it. And I want to leave us today with this thought. What have you done with the gospel? If, if all of this is true, if, if the promise of God is fulfilled in Christ, if the law of God is fulfilled in Christ, and this is all part of God's redemptive plan to draw us to him, well, what do you do with the truth of the gospel? What do you do with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If it's true that God has done for you what you could and would never do for yourself, what is your response to that? And I would simply ask you to consider today how you have responded to the truth of the gospel. Have you moved from being slave to sin to being a child of God? And if that's something that you've done, praise God for that. There's no greater miracle in all of the world than a person coming to faith in Christ. But if that's something that, that you have not done yet, if you have not confessed hope in Christ, if you've not placed your trust in Christ, if you've not responded to the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's done for you what you could and would never do for yourself, I, I, would, I would ask you today where you're at, uh, to confess that to be true, uh, to place your trust in Christ because he is calling you. He's calling you out of slavery and into sonship or into uh, a childhood to being an heir of the things of God. This is what Paul is writing the Galatians about. As people have come in after Paul to, to derail the doctrine of by grace through faith in Christ, Paul is defending and reminding that, that there's nothing that you can add to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Revel in the fact that God has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself and trust God in that. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for the truth of the gospel. We're thankful for the person and the work of Christ. We're thankful that you have revealed yourself to us and that you have stepped into human flesh and that you've done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. that you have provided uh, redemption for a sinful humanity. And we're thankful, God, that you are still today calling people to come to know you. And so it would be my prayer today, our prayer together, that uh, for those that might be listening who uh, have never put their faith in you, that today would be the day that they would come to know you. And today would be the day uh, of a new life in Christ. And, and God, for those of us that, uh, that are in Christ, that do know you, pray that we would be encouraged by the truth of the gospel and that we would be driven to share this truth with others in our life who may not know you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're back. We're back. Good stuff in Galatians. Super mm -hmm. good stuff. Yeah.
guys have any any thoughts to share? I just I've always I love that uh, the first time I understood that picture of the covenant that God made with Abraham, it just wrecked me because that you know the idea that Abraham's just now he's unconscious, passive, and God basically yeah, completely passive, and God saying you know if I don't I'm going to walk through on behalf of myself if I don't keep what my, my side of it let this happen to me and I'm going to walk on behalf of you. If you don't keep your side of the covenant, let this happen to me, which is exactly what Christ did for us, you know, because he knew we wouldn't keep our end of the covenant. We would blow it completely, and he was willing to pay our price for it. Just mind-boggling. Yeah. But that's the kind of covenant I need. <laughs> if it's the kind of covenant where <laughs> I have to do my part yeah. and God has to do his part, uh, I'm going to fail. Yeah. But if God does my part for me too and I can place my trust in that, that's like... That's my kind of covenant right there. That's a Brent Maxwell right. covenant. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for doing that. I like well, how clearly Galatians, obviously, and, and also even the way you did it today, um, puts the law where it belongs. And, and so many of us need that. I know that I grew up in a church where it seemed, it, I perceived that I was being taught the opposite of the law, that it is something that's, gonna, that's there to make me a better person. It's something that's there to help me persevere in righteousness. Um, and 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 yet we see here, and I know that a lot of people are confused about that still, like how the law fits in. Why did God even give the law? And I love this text because it answers why God gave the law. Yeah. And it was because sin, you know, was already existent. And, um, and so it, it's, hopefully this, this just brings some clarity um, with how the law, the gospel works. Why did God even give the law? This is a real good text to hopefully help people put everything in its right place. Because there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the law. I love the clarity it gives as far as like, uh, you know, you picture your own kids. <clears throat> if, you've, if you have kids that were little, <clears throat> you had to treat them a certain way when they were little. And you touched on that, you know. Um, but even as they were adolescents, you know, and, and not quite into adulthood yet, you still had to constantly be there like the law did to correct them. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, because they didn't, they didn't get it. Like, I can't, why can't I do these things? No, you can't stick your hand in the fan. You can't touch the stove. And then, it, you know, it kind of went out. But there, then a change happens when your kids become adults. The relationship changes to where you're not constantly having to, you know, put them in timeout and say you can't do this, which is what the law does for us, until we become children, adopted sons or daughters, and then it changes into a thing where it's not doing it's not it's a it's a totally different dynamic that that is created now to where it doesn't mean that um, we still won't have consequences or have to be corrected or those kinds of things, but it's a different different relationship with the father now that I have as an he looks at me as an adult son. In a, in a different form, kind of relationship than what the law brought. And it's night and day. And you still want to please your father. You still want to be obedient. You still want to do these things. But, you know, completely different dynamic. What would you guys say to the person that, that just feels like they continue to blow it over and over again, that, that, that they don't measure up? Come on in. The water's fine. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Verse, uh, verse 6 of chapter 4 says, God has sent forth, because you are sons, because the relationship now has changed from uh, being a slave under the law to being a son, it says, because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So the, the, the frustration of just where you just keep blowing it, where we just keep blowing it, the, 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 the thing I, I love about this is that the spirit 
causes us to cry out to God for help, mm -hmm. not to look to ourselves and look to the law and say, you got to stretch out, make it, get up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The spirit in our heart causes us to cry out to God because he is the one that's brought us into a new relationship, a living relationship. And uh, it, it is in, he, he is our answer. He is our hope when we, when we blow it. Um, you know, the, the Spirit uh, sends us to God, beckons us to God, as opposed to the law, which beckons us to look at ourselves and say, yep, you did blow it. And there's no hope in the law. I mean, it just, it just says you either make it or you don't, and we don't. And so in that sense, really, the law keeps driving us to Christ, mm -hmm. yeah. you know. For sure. Yeah, so. I have a, a couple of buddies that I have a text thread with and we're always like seems like somebody's always putting out a, like a theological question and, and then we spend you know a week texting back and forth because nobody's super quick you know we're all working and so it takes you know several days and so we have this text thread going and uh, one of the one of the guys asked the question what, what does it feel like to be born again like like how, how do I know that I'm born again um, how, how do I like how can I have assurance in my salvation and, and one of the other guys responded uh, and had this really beautiful text that I, I don't have in front of me now, but he was talking about uh, the, that if, it, if, if you subscribe to a man-centered gospel, in other words, if your gospel says that I have to try harder to be better, uh, th then it's up to me to sustain my salvation. And I don't sleep all that well at night if it's up to me because I know that I, that I blow it. And the law daily reminds me that I blow it, but when our gospel is Christ-centered that says that, that, that he did for us what we could and would never do for ourselves, I sleep a lot better at night because it's not up to me to sustain it. It's up to Christ to sustain it, and what a beautiful truth that is. It is. It is. It's, it's not my faithfulness um, to God and his righteousness, but it's Christ's faithfulness to God and his righteousness that... Uh, that gives me my righteousness. I think it's, it's in, based it's, on Christ's faithfulness, not right. mine. I think it's in First or Second Timothy. Can remember even when we are faithless, that He remains faithful. faithful. Mm -hmm. and, and the assumption there is that, like, not in case we're faithless, but like we are faithless. Right. So it's like the covenant that, that you talked about today with Abraham. Like, there's an unconditional, like, reality going on, and like there. It, it, it's so hard to not think conditionally. I think that's my biggest problem. Sure. Everything that we know to be real in this life is based on conditions, like you talked about, whether it's a mortgage or whether it's whatever it is, you know, a marriage, whatever it is, it's so conditional. Um, and, and so I, it, it's almost impossible for us to fathom something that's actually unconditional, which is, which is him to us, sure. Christ for us. Um, and I think that's the hard part where you can still doubt and you can still feel in your failures like like God should forsake you, it, you know, um, like there's no reason he shouldn't. Right. <laughs> like, it wouldn't make sense if he didn't. Right. That's what I'd do if I was him, you know. And yet there's there's the nature, the reality of, of this being completely unconditional. It, it has nothing to do with our ability, uh, performance. Um, and, and the freedom of knowing that he adopted us as his children um, and set us free from, from all of the, you, know, you don't have to try to please me, you don't have to try to measure up, you don't have to try to earn my love. I'm adopting you as my son and daughter, and you're free. You're, you know, you're in this relationship with me, and, and, and what that does for us and should do to us is now it frees us up to actually please our, our, our dad, right. you know, and, and 
and want to honor him and want to do the things that make him happy. And, and, and that's the, when I think about what it feels like to be born again, it's that, it's that freedom of knowing I'm in and that he's changed my heart and he's written his law in my heart in a way that now I can have this different relationship with him to where I'm not waiting for a lightning bolt or, or wait, you know, trying to always find a way, you know, I just, I can relax in this knowing that my, my dad loves me and he wants me and he knows everything I've ever done. He knows what I'm doing now and he knows everything I'm going to do. And he still wanted to adopt me into his family and seat me at his table. And that's just, it's mind blowing still, but free, just yeah. peace fills me with peace and hope. That's right. That's good. We probably have a few minutes for some comments, questions, if any, anybody wants to ask anything. I don't see anything now on the feed, but, uh, um, yeah, if you have any, any questions or whatever, now now might be the time. So where does the law now fit into the life of the believer? That's a good question. Great question. question we've spent many, many hours talking about. <laughs> we, we have, but I think there's still, you know, I think some people are still trying to work that out. Like if, if this sure. means this, you know, then then what does it mean now? You know, what's what's my relationship with this now? Well, you know, the, the Paul jumps to that question in Romans six, mm -hmm. right? He says, "So um, shall we continue in sinning that grace may abound?" In other words, uh, because we have such unconditional, such an unconditional covenants, because we have such uh, a righteousness applied to us, shall we go on and sin? Well, I don't have really a very good intuitive idea of what sin really is the law kind of spells it out so i know what it is i still know what it is now i'm not trying to fulfill the law in order to gain god's approval but it still shows me what's right and what's wrong mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so when um it, it it's it's one thing that still defines um you know what sin is mm -hmm. for us which we need because even though you become a Christian, you don't automatically get this light bulb that, that, that tells you, I mean, we do have the Spirit, right? But, uh, but the Spirit also works through, you know, illumining God's Word to us and lighting it up so that we know. So that way we know what sin is. So it definitely has a use in, in, uh, in you know, letting us know what sin is. It's still sin. So it does the same thing it used to do, but it, it doesn't condemn us. It doesn't. It can't. That's it can't. right. We're not slaves to it. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not, not slaves to it. To it so, so we're not, not trying to fulfill the law for approval, but from our place of approval. So, so in this cry of, of Abba, Father, like we're, we, we love to fulfill the law because we love God. Not because mm -hmm. we're trying to earn anything, mm -hmm. but because we've already been given favor by God, that unconditional favor. Then, then like you talk about duty and delight, like it becomes our delight to now live the way that God calls us to live. Not, not a begrudging thing. Oh, I, I have to do this to achieve a means to an end. Yeah, but it's you know it's a duty and a delight, and only God can can take something like yeah. that and make it both a duty and a delight. Sure. A delight to do your duty, <laughs> sure. right? Well, and it's helpful to me to think about what what he, what Christ did with the, the law, how he defined it in the New Testament, because um, it, one of them, you know, the Old Testament law, when you get especially when you get into the ceremonial stuff and the and the meals and the the days and all those things, it feels. It can feel like a crushing weight, you know, and I think it did to it, you know, in that time. But now he just says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Um, love is not a burden. It shouldn't be, especially for somebody who's born again. This is the natural response of a Christian. It should be. We should be characterized and marked by the way we love our God and the people around us, each other, and, the, you know, and our neighbor. 
and that's really to me it simplifies it rather than trying to come up you know there's 600 laws to keep track <laughs> of and it's you know it's a very different paradigm in my mind uh, just to focus on what it means to love and love puts the other person before themselves love puts your rights away and your you know your agenda away and and you know the, the way we define that obviously sure. matters but yeah, yeah. Um, but to me it helps it simplify uh, you know what we're to be about sure. yeah that's good what do you think about what your question my question yeah the place of the law I, I, I agreed with Terry like it does the same thing except it doesn't condemn us it's not it's not something we're slaves to and I and I love the idea of um, like what you're talking about here like when my kid was in India he did some um, he did some time over there missions <laughs> and apparently the traffic I mean we've all seen like videos or whatever there, there's like no traffic signs no signals so like everyone it's up to everybody when they approach an intersection or anything <laughs> on the road to like figure mm. out try to like evaluate what's right and what's wrong right and it often doesn't turn out right because their evaluation's <laughs> off you know um and so like the, that's what the law is to the believer is is it street signs it's signals that are that are clear indicators of how to approach this thing that you're walking up to you know what i mean um so that we don't have to be confused or or use our own judgment because our judgment's so bad so it's not like the book of judges i don't think so. <laughs> just every man did what was right in his own <laughs> it sounds yeah. bad praise god for stop signs yeah yeah praise god for red lights um even if they're long you know right and, and the law the law really is that for the believer is it is it still lets us know clearly, even when we don't know clearly uh, where we're at, what we're doing. Um, and then Christ is our advocate for all of it. So, yeah. We got no questions coming in on the feed. Anything on your text? All right. And you guys want to pray for us? And we'll be back on Wednesday. We'll be back on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, Father, we um, are so grateful uh, for the story of, of what we've looked at in Galatians today for the account of this covenant that, that you've made. Um, on our behalf uh, that you fulfilled and that you've kept uh, knowing that we wouldn't and, and that Jesus ultimately paid that price for us that that he went to the cross on our behalf and that, that he willingly took our sins uh, that his body was broken that his blood was shed so that we could live and have life by placing our trust in, in what he did for us on the cross and, and his resurrection and his ascension back to you Lord uh, we're grateful Lord that you've made a way for us to be with you to be adopted into your family to have a future and a, and a hope. And Lord, if there's anybody there today listening or, or watching that, that doesn't know about this, uh, pray that today they would meet Jesus, that they would understand that there's a God who loves them and, and who's called them and, and is pulling them um, into relationship with him. And so thank you that you've done all the heavy lifting. All we brought to this deal was our sin, and, and yet you've loved us and, and made a way, Lord. So thank you for loving us and giving us Christ. Uh, help us to live in a way that honors you and pleases you and help us lord to share this with as many people as we can around as we ask in jesus name amen, amen. have a great day we'll see you wednesday Bye, guys.